Hey everybody, my name is Alec and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now before we get started, I just wanted to remind everybody to listen to the last episode of the podcast, which is, or which was, all about, um, which was all about the, um, which was, which is all about the Crunchyroll Awards. Sorry, I started there a little bit. I'm doing a little something different. If you follow, if you follow me on TikTok, which I will leave on the in the thing, you'll see that I'm now trying to do little video clips and record this as, as a video podcast, which I'm just gonna check on right now. And we are indeed recording, which is good. Um, but. So, yeah, so definitely go check out those clips on TikTok. I'll probably also post them to Reel on the Instagram channel, which if you're not following me, following the podcast on Instagram, that channel is lunchboxradio underscore podcast over on Instagram. I put stuff up there all the time, all anime related, so definitely go check that out. But definitely go check out the last episode all about the Crunchyroll Awards and really kind of my like breakdown of just the function of the Crunchyroll Awards and like how I didn't, how I think it didn't go so well, but check that out. Also, if you are interested in like Japanese culture, and even if you're interested in an in discounts, if you're interested in anime, definitely go check out the interview I did with Peter Tatara, the head of the Jap- of the Japan Society and NYC's film program. He also started up the convention that we all know is anime nyc so definitely go give that a look um and stick around until the end of the podcast so you can check out a new thing that i'm going to be starting to do that i've already in the process of doing the like work back end work for so i can give you guys an extra little thing every once in a while Um, Now, with that said, let's jump into what we're talking about right now, and that is a little show you might have heard from from the very early aughts, in fact, the original aught from from 2000, that's a show called Inuyasha. I want to
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, there's, there's a weird thing about Netflix anime movies and about kind of the way they've come to look and feel. And they have a different, like, Netflix anime series, Netflix anime movies have this kind of overproduced look. And if you're curious what that feels like, it um it's kind of it gives you the same vibe almost as the Pokemon television series used to give you when compared to the Pokemon movies. And basically you can feel the money on these dripping off of these off of these feature length things. And that has attracted a certain kind of studio that wants that kind of budget for what they're looking to do. And yes, you get things like um, Dorohedoro, which is its own weird, insane punk rock thing that is entirely CGI. Or you get thi- you get things like also punk rock in a different direction. Um, like, uh, what's it called? Like, Cyberpunk Edge Runner, and that wasn't even the first thing that um, Trigger did with um, with Netflix. The first thing they did was actually the um, Little Witch Academia, like extended extended show they did with Netflix very early on, actually. But the then there's a kind of movie that really seeks to blend 2D and 3D, uses like uses all the bells and whistles, and the last one that we saw like that was a film called Bubble, and I've talked about Bubble on this very podcast. This and Bubble clearly share some DNA. I they don't they're not from the same studio. This is from Studio Colordio. Um, which also made, and I, I looked this up specifically because I was inter- because it was interesting to me, based on what the film looked like and what the film acts like, which we'll get to in a second. Um, where it where it kind of came from, and so stuff you might know that um, Studio Colordio made is largely film projects. Um, they worked on. To Burn the Witch feature feature length movie. They worked on um, Penguin Highway. You get to a certain point with Colordio and you see that a lot of what they've done is that they've done a lot of shorter things. Not necessarily entirely shorter things, but they've done self-contained stuff for the most part. That doesn't mean they're not capable of doing longer form things, but it does kind of show a pattern. And in watching this 
in watching this film, I see... I see why... I see why that's true. And that... That seems odd, but we'll get... And we're going to get get into that right now. So... The long and short of it is that... Um... Dr- Drifting Home is about a group of... Not even teenagers. Like, definitely hard... Like, hard preteens. Like, we're talking, like... Not 10... Not 9, 10. But, like... 13, 14. I don't think there's a single character... I don't think there's a single main plot... Main character in this film plot... That is over the age of maybe 14. And... They are all kind... They are all kind of happen to be exploring... This abandoned apartment building... That the main characters of the... Of the, um... Of the show... Um, Kosuke and um, Natsume grew up in, essentially, and you you find that you find that out over the course of the film. And the first thing, and there's, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say there aren't interesting things about this film because there are, but I think, I think there's interesting things that kind of get lost in the sauce of the like concept of this movie that is not quite explained in a way that lets everything hang together. So one of the things that Bubble did really well, and Bubble is not, certainly not the best movie, but one of the things that Bubble did really well is it sat the viewer down and it just, and it did this by showing them what happened, as well as telling them what happened, but it just showed you what the fuck happened that got to this weird situation that you find these teenagers in? And this film doesn't do that. It does. It, it in no way want. In no way tries to make you understand what the fuck happened. And in no way really hints at it. But it does hint at certain things that are really interesting moments in this movie. Um, and one thing that hints at is one thing that outright tells you over the course of the film is that Kosuke and Natsume have are at the beginning stages of drifting apart. And that sounds that's, that's, that is as sad as it sounds and it, it strikes you as as the viewer, as like this profound, as this profound moment that the film is calling out and telling you as the viewer to recognize, like, look, this is where these kids are at. They're at this point where they're starting to drift, and th- th- a large part of this movie is creating a scenario in which they get to choose to not have that happen. They get to choose to be to be conscious about whether or not they step away from their own relationship. Because one of the things that feels like it's a that's not a choice you can make when you're still in anything under and even including high school. Because you as a underage child essentially have so little have 
relatively little actual control that you don't have to force of your life is that people can come into your life and they can spend a long time there and you can build meaningful relationships and then they can just drift off, essentially. They can drift away to another place. And it can not be entirely your fault. You can lose connections very easily. And keeping those connections alive in the as an adult is hard. It is something you have to consciously think about. I consciously think about, you know, Texting and talking to Kie, texting and talking to Lauren, and they consciously think about, by the way, hi Kie, hi Lauren. Um, they consciously think about texting and talking to me. I, I have a, I, but the way that happens is different for both of them. Our relationships are different, and as they well should be, they're two different fucking people. But it, for Lauren, we have had basically since. More or less the day we graduated. More the the day that we were no longer in this like in the same apartment building together. We've had a forever long running conversation <laughs> where we just talk and we just send each other weird shit. We're we're in a mode now where we keep sending each other hilarious videos on Reels or on TikTok. Whereas Kia and I are much different, much more different. We we have a scenario in which sometimes we won't talk for months. <laughs> sometimes we don't. Actually, it's not quite months anymore. Like that's shortened. But like, there's a moment where one of us will break down and we'll feel that slippage start to happen in a real way, and we'll be like, "Oh fuck, we don't want this to happen. Somebody needs to talk to somebody. I don't care if I'm a little pissed right now." <laughs> I'm going to spill my guts out into line and send it to Alex. <laughs> because that's like I because we value those we value our relationship with each other in a real meaningful way. And in a in a way that doesn't doesn't track with what you're told. Because oftentimes and adults like to do this. The, the the people older than you will always like to do this until they realize what they're doing. People like to frame cross-gender relationships, dual-gender relationships, where like a guy and a girl hang out or a girl and a guy hang out as romantic. They like it is it is in people to frame that stuff that way. But it it doesn't have to be. That's not the only option if you're a guy and a girl. And that's not the only way that love manifests between two people. Um, and the... So it's this weird thing where you're kind of told... From a pretty early age, that like if you're hanging out with a girl, like that might be your girlfriend someday, and that's entirely possible. But it's entirely possible that you guys could just be ride or die best friends who like fist bump on your way down into your own 
on your way down into your own coffins. Like, it, that's entirely possible. But the possibility of finding a best friend who just has a different set of parts than you is... It's just the same as finding a best friend who is a who is another guy or another girl. And if you have a friend if you have a friend who's like if you have a best friend who's a girl or a best friend who's a guy, pursue those relationships just the same as you would if it was a same gender relationship. There's nothing wrong with having like very much no fucking line. <laughs> Between two people, as long as it's always agreed, like ah, it's fine, like it's fine, and and it will just it will, yes, it will throw people off. But the people who throw off, you'll kind you'll but you'll see it's not so much like a you are an affront to God. You'll see a lack of confidence on that other person's part. That you can, that 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 would would be possible for them, and what you're seeing is their reaction to something they didn't know was a possibility. Because so many, so many, so many people believe that men and women can't just be friends, and like I know it's the year of our Satan, 2023, but people still believe that shit. People still believe that you can't just be somebody's friend. That you can't just know somebody for so long that like to have any sense of boundaries would be insane <laughs> to have any sense of like modesty around somebody would be insane because if you knew another guy for 10 years that if, if you were a guy and you knew another guy for 10 years and you were best friend for 10 years you would have seen some fucked up shit together. Like, you would have been through some shit. Like, you would have asked some weird questions. And it would be fine. It's the same if there's... If there's another... If that other person happened to be girl. And if I had to guess... Natsumi and... Natsumi and, um... Kyosuke in this, in this film love each other. They love each other in the way that another person loves another person. It's not necessarily a gendered thing. And I think what people I think what people misunderstand about love. And I'll I'll get to the rest of the movie in a minute, but I think what people misunderstand about love is that it's a thing that is gendered. It's a thing, love is a thing that you've, it's a thing that's gendered outside of family. But in so much of media, family's portrayed as something you're born into and you're very close with. I'm, so I'm, I'm rewatching Billions. And Billions has a lot to say about family. But it also has a lot to say about relationships and relationships in family, in your chosen, in your family by birth, and your chosen family. 
And ultimately in that show, there's these two characters named Taylor and Mephee. They are best friends for the latter half of that show. And yes, there are some moments where they... Where they have missteps, they hit they hit hard times and stuff. But at the end of the day, in that in, in for a portion of that show, they always on Thursdays they meet at a place and they go get dinner. And it's a relationship they try, even if they are on the opposite ends of a of of a conflict, they put it all aside and they. <laughs> And they, they even have like these quips at each other, like, what? and they both do it. We're still going to go and get dinner, right? And she's like, oh, yeah. And, and, and Taylor's like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, not even a question. Like, <laughs> do, you, do you want me to send a private car? And she's like, no, I'll, I, I can, I get into cabin. It's cool. And it's in that, in that show's universe. That is so refreshing and so uplifting because it gets at this it gets at this core truth of friendship in that if somebody's your friend, they're your friend. It doesn't matter. Like like so much of what we make so much of what we make matter in our day to day just doesn't. It doesn't fucking have to. You don't have to care. The, the only reason you care is because the universe the universe around you has told you this matters. You haven't you if you go and you sit and you take stock of things and you choose what matters, it's a very different thing. And if if something hits you in a way where the emotion behind that forces you to make it matter, then listen to that. But if you stop and you think about it and you're like, I don't really give a shit about this then you'll have to and you and a great thing that um, Dan Savage from the Savage Love Cat says about relationship is he says like and I think he's probably not wrong he said if we can somehow decouple like the sex from love in, in, in minor ways, and we can somehow normalize, like, say, paying for sex, like, we can somehow normalize sex work, then we'd probably be a whole lot better off, because people have needs. And that doesn't always have to correlate with the person you love. It doesn't have to feel so scandalous that you, you know, go to a brothel and you give somebody money, and they give you pleasure. That does not have to feel fucked up. We have made it feel fucked up. Except in certain circumstances. For, ex for example, if you go to Amsterdam, it's legal. Just go do it. If you go to Las Vegas, which is a place in the United States, it's legal. Go do it. It's being decriminalized or not prosecuted in plenty of places. <laughs> As somebody who has been to New Orleans, you're gonna see some hookers in, on Bourbon Street. The cops aren't doing a whole lot about it. 
And that's probably fine. Because guess what? They take the train home to their apartment. They take the trolley home to their apartment alongside everybody else. And nobody fucking cares. It's kind of incredible. But... This is a demonstration, the relationship between Natsume and Kyosuke over the course of the movie is a demonstration of what non-romantic or non-romantic at this point, at this point in their relationship, love could look like. And yes, that kind of relationship will be called into question as other relationships come in and out of their lives. Particularly, there's a character by the name of, um, of Inori, who very clearly has a crush on Kyosuke. And Kyosuke just kind of doesn't care. Like, he, he does care, but he doesn't care. And at some point, that triangle of Kyosuke... Inori Natsume is gonna is gonna have some real conversations and Inori will probably say to Natsume will probably ask the question of Natsume like Natsume I'm gonna ask him out are you okay with this and Natsume will have to make that decision at that point and so will Kyosuke and it, that now that now granted um Tomo-chan as a girl is a currently airing show. Um, I saw the first episode of it in um, in at Anime NYC, this past Anime NYC. That show is about how these relationships can go bad, how like these cross these boy-girl friendships can go bad eventually. If one side just isn't acknowledging the other side, and it's pretty clear in that show that um, the male lead is just straight up like, he's not ready. He's not ready to go there. He won't let himself go there. And Tomo-chan, the main character of that show, very much wants it to happen. And uh, like they're, they're meeting at different points in the road in weird ways. But that's kind of the like relationship dynamic of the... Int- of the two main characters of Natsume and Kyosuke. In addition, you have um, Yuzuru of like big stocky kid. You have Juri who is you have Juri. Um, you have I think that's everybody except for Inori. And you have Inori who is kind of um, who who is really like. She's got a hardcore crush on Kyosuke. For oh, and you have um, Taishi, who's just like a rambunctious little goblin, and it's great. And so they're like the kind of social connections get them all caught up in this abandoned building, and then the, all of a sudden it starts torrential downpouring, and when. The torrential downpour stops. I'm skipping over certain things for to preserve the drama of this film. But when the torrential downpour stops, they're still in the apartment building. But the apartment building is like now ultra dilapidated, even more than it was, and it is 
out at sea. It is in the middle of the fucking ocean. And the majority of the movie is them figuring... It's not them figuring out what the fuck happened. They have a brief, like, what the fuck happened? And the movie does not answer those questions. Like, they don't get answers, we don't get answers. It's... Like I said, it's part of the flaw of the movie. And they meet this... And eventually they... This... This... Apartment building before it fucking... Teleported into the middle of the goddamn Pacific Ocean. Was apparently haunted. Eventually you meet that... Quote unquote ghost. But what that ghost is... It's not really fully revealed until close to the end of the film. But what that ghost is, is it is the spirit of this building. So I'm going to um, jump into the concepts behind Shinto for a little bit. And those concepts are important to like understanding this movie at like a core level and that's why that's why I'm doing this. It's not just because I'm yay Shinto on the podcast today, I promise. But the concept behind Shinto is that everything has with it a spirit. And you see this in concepts like Yoko like Yokai in Japanese culture. If you look at a bu- if you look at a lot of Yokai, they are just household objects what have eyes and teeth. Like the umbre- like the yokai is just an umbrella, and often yokai are used to explain like little in- little odd things that happen. Like there's probably a yokai that steals your socks in the dryer or something. Um, but the concept behind Shinto is that everything has like a everything has a spirit to it. From a some of them have collective spirits like the birds. Some of them have their own individualized spirit, like a rock. A rock can have a spirit. Um, or an individual tree can have a spirit. That's what the Kudama are in um, Princess Mononoke. In this case, Nopo is the spirit of this, of this old apartment building. You don't really understand what the hell that means... Or what the hell he really is, because he doesn't super lay it out in front of you until they encounter another island that happens in the plot at the kind of in the last third of the movie, where it's a fair, where it's this giant Ferris wheel and it's these fairgrounds. It, that's part of a fairground. It's also floating around because throughout the movie, they encounter other parts of their town that like uprooted and are now just floating the fuck around. Um, and there's this spirit of a Ferris wheel. And it's just this beautiful woman in her older 20s who's like, she's got like, it's almost like a rash. Like it's only like, like when you, if you've seen like when concrete breaks and cracks apart, it's like the interior of that, but it's like a rash all over her body, and she's covered. And like Nopo, she's covered in moss and greenery. And all, and you realize that all the buildings they've encountered at this point 
have had somewhere on them, not necessarily revealed to the, to the actual main cast, spirits on them. Like, spirits of these buildings. And these buildings are like drifting spirits. And they they confirm that suspicion at the end of the... At the tail end of the movie when you like finally arrive at the island of you are you arrive at a variant of the island of lost toys but for building spirit people and it's it's real strange it's real strange and at this at the point at which you meet nopo and even before you see in natsume this want to hold on to the past but not necessarily this want to hold on to the past this want to hold on to her relationships that she feels kind of that she feels drifting away from her and in specifically her relationship with kyosuke and there's a lot in the movie about kyosuke nasume and kyosuke's grandfather um uh, a character, a uh, character you only ever seen flashback because he is super not alive. Um, Yasuji, and Yasuji was just kind of a fun-loving old man who was like having a good time with his grandkid and his grandkid's best friend, who clearly needed somebody, who clearly needed like an adult in their lives, in their life at that point in terms of. Natsume and like the old guy was just like you care about the old guy was essentially like you care about my grandson I care about you that's how it goes kiddo and there's this really touching thing about found family in this film that is uh, that is really about like sometimes you dealt a weird fucking hand. And you're gonna need to build up your own universe. You're gonna need to add people to your life outside of just your mom or just your dad. And one of the things that the movie makes really explicit is that Nasume is the child of an only parent. In the form of um of of her mother Sadako. And Sadako is not. Does not have her life necessarily together the greatest. Like, Natsume comes home and, like, the apartment's a goddamn wreck. And she's like, hey, um, so all of this stuff is yours. She, like, throws out the trash. It's really early in the film. She, like, throws out all the trash when she gets home. And then she, like, gets all of her mom's, like, stuff in a pile. And she's like, hey, this is yours. There's places this stuff belongs. Put it away, mom. And as a as a child of an only parent, I will tell you, if you listen to this and you're an adult and you've like feel the weight of like the roles have more than slightly reversed and you are taking care of your parents in ways large and small. That happens quicker when you're an only child. Because it's not that raising a kid is a is not a single parent affair. It's 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 not a single person affair. It never is. It never was. You know, it takes a 
the phrase it takes a village exists for a real reason. And, but when you have a single parent and you're in, you're in the right kind of scenario where that village is, it can be far away from you at moments, both physically and, both physically and metaphorically, sometimes the mask slips. It just happens. And it's, it's, it's not, it's not done intentionally or it's not done out of hatred or out of, or out of any bad feelings. It's just like, sometimes you needed another person. So, so Sometimes having a goblin, having a tiny goblin shaped like a person running around It's a scenario in which it would be nice to have another person to help you just, like, wrangle wrangle a kid. And if there's not another person there, sometimes, sometimes you just, you just stuff goes weird. Sometimes you're just fucking tired. All the time you're just fucking tired. And so Yasuji was there in a real way, and... and Nasume got this extended family out of out of Kyosuke's family and out of Kyosuke that she clearly deeply valued. And when Yasuji died because he was an old man, that family shrunk. Nasume's world shrunk. And if you're listening to this, you more than likely have experienced the grandparent dying. But there's different degrees of that. There's different degrees of what they were in your life. My grand my grandfather meant a meant a very different thing than my cousin's grandfather to me because my grandfather was a stand in for my dad. My gra- my aunt was a stand in for my dad. On Father's Day, I used to do, I used to send things to my aunt, Wilma, and my grandfather, and my grandpa. They're both gone now. And that's like a, that's a hole that exists. It's one of the many holes that you acquire in the, in the journey through life. But that is a, that is a, like, thing at my core that I know. And it's upsetting and sad. But I get, my point is, I get it in Nasume's case. Like, she had an adult who she looked up to, who cared about her deeply. It didn't necessarily mean, didn't necessarily matter. That they weren't blood relatives. It, you can find these people still. You find these in teachers, who you become friends with. You find this in teachers who believe in you regardless of how well you do in school. Who see who see you for everything you can be, and and see you for everything you can be. Maybe in moments when nobody nobody else in your life can. You see this in teachers all the time. Actually, teachers who be, who believe in your in the possibilities that you have, and so for to just happen to be another person 
your best friend's grandpa. That makes total sense. It feels like it should be more complicated, but it is absolutely not. I promise you. Um, and the that that becomes a core problem, a core conflict in the film because Natsume is really opposed to losing people, and the movie keeps telling her like. Sometimes you lose people. Sometimes it happens. Hold on to the people you can. From here on out, value the connections you make. Like, make as much as you can, make an effort to hold on to those connections. To And by the end of the movie, you see two people who were clearly drifting apart, drifting closer together now. But, but the difference is they're not drifting. They've got a hold of a line on either end, and they are consciously pulling it closer and letting it... They're conscious, it's a conscious dance of pulling and easing and pulling and easing. And that's really what a friendship is. And is this movie good? It is okay. <laughs> it is not great. It is... Its narrative contrivance doesn't really work because it doesn't fucking explain it ever. It's It struggles to get through itself without using montages because it certainly uses at least two. Probably three if I'm stopping and thinking about it. It creates drama kind of out of nowhere. It, there was... And I'm not saying that um, you need to be like pseudo, ultra pseudoscience like an Evangelion in order to make, make, a, make a successful fantasy premise. But I think the bubble probably had it right in this respect. Bubble gave you just enough gave you just enough to know what was happening and just enough so you knew that you couldn't know that no that no one could know what has happened yet that it that when that when you sit in that world for the course of that film you don't you don't have to question it. You don't have to question like is this the only building? Oh wait, there are other buildings. How the fuck did they get here? All of these buildings are from this one town. Why have we not encountered like the Chrysler building upside down floating floating towards them? Like what what the fuck happened here? What uh, is the entire world like this currently? Is the entire world in this state currently? Are they in the... Is this some sort of fucked up spirit world? Because there are moments in this movie that suggest that. But it doesn't, it doesn't give you that stuff. So what you're left with is this film that has the core conceits about relationship, about the importance of the places you inhabit in your life and what kind of memories those places hold 
and the importance of like genuine familial like love delivered in a form factor doesn't quite stick the landing. And there's a point and my a perfect example is there's a point in this movie at which I'm like looking at the at the runtime of the film and it's getting down to like ten minutes. And I'm like, what the fuck? Is this thing just gonna cut to black and credits? And it doesn't. It really doesn't. Although it does also. But it doesn't do much more. <laughs> like it I It's weird that I was watching this movie and the movie felt both too long and also like it needed another 10 minutes at the end. <laughs> another 10 minutes just to explain what the fuck's up. Just for Nopo to be like, hey guys, here's what's happening. Here's what this is. Here's what I am. Really, you only ever got to, here's what I am. You didn't get to any of the other shit. Then all of a sudden, whip, bam, boom, they home. And it's like... And also the movie's like, okay, so here's how you know this clearly wasn't a dream. They've got fucking pictures to prove it. <laughs> like, Nopo's in the picture, then like, it's a whole, it's a whole deal. It's just like... So like I, the reason the reason why I and that the form factor of this film is what made me look up the Studio Coloro the who produced it because it doesn't it felt the movie and I'll leave it here the movie felt like it didn't know how to handle itself for as long as it was running, as long as the runtime was. It felt like it fell apart and put itself and like held itself together with duct tape at multiple points in the film. On on, on a narrative level. Aesthetically it's pretty it's pretty gorgeous. It's it's a pretty good looking thing. It's I think that this movie could have benefited from an aging up of the characters. Because they put these fucking preteens through some hard shit. There's one girl who gets basically ping-pongs, who basically gets dropped off a building and ping-pongs her way down. Like, there's some rough shit in this thing. And some of the stuff that they do, that they can do in Bubble, simply because all the characters in that are teenagers... They couldn't quite get away with... In this movie, because it, like, the kids aren't old enough. Like, the the kids aren't old enough. The emotional awareness isn't quite there enough for them to, for like you to like have the conversation about like what a love, what a relate, not even love, what a relationship triangle might look like in between, you know, Inori, Kyosuke, and Natsume. What, you know, what, it would be nice to see what, what Taishi looks like when he's like a teenager instead of like a rambunctious, you know, 12 year old. 
or what Yuzuru looks like as an adult. As, as, as more of an adult, as more of maybe just like the guy who hangs out with, with Taishi because they've always known each other. But Taishi is like a weird little video game freak and <laughs> Yuzuru like plays like like plays football or something. <laughs> like soccer or something. Like play, plays football or something. Or American football. And it's like a real jock type. And maybe that's what really bothered me about this. Is thinking about now and this, like I said, this is, this is like, I'm going to put a stop to it here. Um, is this, this movie doesn't happen without The Breakfast Club. And if you watch this movie, you, I want you to think in the back of your head about the Breakfast Club. If you've never seen The Breakfast Club, hey, for the love of God, go see The Breakfast Club. It, if you've seen no other John Hughes movie in your life, go see The Breakfast Club. But these characters aren't maturity-wise in a similar place to The Breakfast Club characters. So... You can only go so far with the emotional conversations you're having with them. And the emotional conversation you have around not Natsume in this film is by far the most mature. But it's almost too mature. Like it's it's you get real old soul vibes from Natsume. Like you get you get this real vibe that like Natsume is in a it's like on a, it's like on a couple rungs up from everybody else in this movie, and over time, Kyosuke gets dragged up there with her, and once they encounter the Ferris, the Ferris wheel spirit in the Ferris wheel like island, you see Nori understand what Natsume is experiencing because. All of a sudden, Inori experiences it. She experiences, she encounters this place that she'd been with her father. She encounters a place that she has memories in. And she encounters a spirit that represents those memories. And the spirit is in no way as cryptic as Oppo. She's She straight up says to Inori, like, Thanks for coming here. Thanks for having a great time on, our, on my rides. Thank you for... Like, having happy memories here. And, like, Inori, like, almost snapped like a twig. <laughs> Emotionally there for a second. And when she says goodbye, she understands what that's going to mean to Natsume. When, Not when Natsume ultimately says goodbye to Nopo. And that's really the best part of the movie is the like, is this there? And actually, the whole the whole show devoted to this kind of like fucking ennui about the place you grew up. If you want, if you want to watch it, it's, I've covered it on this very podcast. It's called Abadabashi Shopping Arcade. That that whole fucking show. As much as I hate to tell you, like, it, it that show gets weird. But that's what the this is about that's what that show is about. It's about this like on we feeling about like 
the world is changing around me and where I lived can no longer exist. And I think that I think that so often you're encouraged to leave things behind in life. That people forget that there's value in where you come from. There's value in what's informed the person you come to be. There's value in... Not necessarily backtracking all the way. Not, not necessarily setting yourself back or refusing to move forward. But there's value in going back and, like, seeing the places of your youth, seeing the places that helped you, that helped to be a stepping stone towards where you're headed. And by use of the, like, Shinto idea of, like, everything has its own spirit, this film starts to get at that. But, like I said, it doesn't, it doesn't really stick the landing. On that note, if you like the podcast, new episodes come out every Thursday and every other Sunday. Once again, if you haven't listened to my interview with Peter Tatara, the head of the film program over at the Japan Society in New York City, definitely go check that out. It's worth your while, I like to think. And if you really like the podcast, you can definitely go leave a five-star review in the podcast app you're using to listen to me right now. It really helps the show. And share it with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe.
She's the 